I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. Welcome to the first part of our two-part series on CODAs, or Kid of a Deaf Adult. In this series, Lake talks with Jacob Lewis Miller and Gloria and Isabel Papatera about their experiences being CODAs. They'll discuss CODAs in general, interpreting, and the myths surrounding both the deaf community and CODAs. Enjoy! Again, thank you for being here. The first part, I'm wondering if everyone can tell me a little bit about yourself and why are you a part of this conversation today? So, Jacob, you want to start? Uh, hi, my name is Jacob Lewis Miller. Uh, one of the reasons is that Gloria invited me, but um, beyond that, my parents are deaf. Well, my biological father and my biological mother are deaf, and then I have a stepdad that's deaf, and I have family members beyond that are all deaf. So, I'm a CODA. What else about me? I am a senior at Wright State University at the Motion Picture Film Program. I'm getting my BFA promotion picture production. Anything else you want to add about yourself? I'm sure we'll get to know you a little bit more as we're talking. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think I'll be able to dig deeper further we go, for sure. Awesome. Thank you, Jacob. Gloria, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, hello, all. My name is Gloria Papatera. I am a current grad student at Wright State University in the Applied Behavioral Science Program, and I work full-time as a sign language interpreter, of which I have two degrees and associates and a bachelor's. Um, I also have a bachelor's in political science, and I have one deaf parent, I'm the only deaf person in our family, so Izzy and I have a vastly different experience to Jacob's because of this. So I'm Gloria's sister. My name is Isabel Papatera, or you can call me Izzy, it doesn't matter. So yeah, as she said, we have one deaf parent who's the only deaf person in the family. I just graduated Wright State in the summer of 2020, which my bat went <laughs> with my bachelor's in rehabilitation services and two minors in deaf studies in Spanish, because I figured I speak both languages, why not? And then I got a certificate in geographic information sciences. I also have my C-print captionist certificate, and I work as a C-printer as well as a program associate for NCCJ. Thank you, Izzy. Izzy, would you mind briefly telling us what that means? Yeah, so C-print is a live captioning services service that's provided to deaf and hard of hearing clients when they like ask for it. So when I do it in person, um, I take all of my equipment. So I have my laptop that I type on. I have a little table. I have my recorder because I record the class to make sure that I get all the content. And then the client will have a tablet. And what happens is my laptop is connected to tablet through the cprint software and everything i type they can see and it pops up so cprint is just like a shorthand version of typing it's a pretty cool method and i mean it's definitely sped up my typing and trust me you can type papers doing this so it it speeds up a lot of stuff awesome thank you thank you um so thank you everyone for briefly introducing yourself and we'll just jump right in talking about codas today's episode is going to be on codas kind of maybe dispelling some of the myths that individuals may have of CODAs. And also some people may not even have myths of CODAs. Um, I think that there's a large pocket of the world that just isn't even aware that this is a community that has its own subset. So I think 
the first question on my mind is, what's a coda? I feel like that's a loaded question, isn't it? <laughs> so for me, being a coda, obviously coda, it's spelled C-O-D-A or K-O-D-A, child of a deaf adult or kid of a deaf adult. If you've ever taken any American Sign Language classes or ever done any kind of like interpreting program, um, you might have heard about us. We are the children of deaf parents who are normally hearing. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be hearing. Sometimes codas can be deaf, but the whole reason it's a community is because all of us children who live in both the hearing and the deaf world who are trying to navigate both find ourselves in this predicament often of being torn between helping and making the hearing world accessible to our deaf family members and our deaf friends. Um, and a lot of the times it becomes almost like not an obligation, but it becomes like a sense of responsibility that every time that we see a deaf individual or every time that we are out in the community working, we carry that deaf heart with us and we are very intentional about accessibility and things like that. Not all CODAs are the same. Not all of us come from the same place. We all have different backgrounds. Some of us can sign, some of us can't sign. Some of us grow up to be interpreters, others don't. There's a lot of different things that that CODA identity kind of brings. Izzy, Jacob, and I have known each other since we've been kids because we've been just exposed to the deaf community in Dayton. I mean, we've grown up together because the deaf community here in Dayton is very small and it's very tight. So it's not just each other that we know and that we've developed a sense of community with, it's with the actual deaf community that lives here in Dayton. And we can start with like CODA too, like just our parents are deaf, but we have a lot of kids who come to our summer camp, our CODA camp, who maybe their brother or sister is deaf, or maybe they have a grandparent. We have a staff member, their grandparent is deaf. And so we, we, we want to try to have everybody kind of, even if directly their parents aren't deaf, even if they're married into it, we want to bring them into the, to the, our community um, because it is so tight and it is so like valuable to us. So when we get someone new, we're, it's always like a, a very quick bond, I would say. They have that deafness in the family. They have that interest to learn and, and connect. So we've been lucky enough to be able to, to see a lot of that growing up. I just wanted to highlight, Gloria said that some of us sign and some of us don't sign. And I think that's something that's really important to highlight because a lot of even deaf people, hearing people, they just expect CODAs to be able to speak both languages. And that's not always the case. It's not, it's, it's always up to the choice of the parents, right? How the child is going to be raised. So I think that's something important to remember. And, and, and deaf people sometimes, you know, I mean, deaf people are, they're just people, you know, you have nice people, you have mean people. So you're going to get the same thing with deaf people. They're just people. And so an example of that, if it's okay, if I, if I kind of bring this up, we were at Deaf Community Day at Wright State we were presenting our, our case to come to our CODA camp. And we were up on the stage in front of a ton of deaf people. There was uh, stands all set up. This is pre-COVID, obviously. I decide, um, just because of who I am, I just decided to do my whole message in ASL. And then, and I'll let Gloria and Izzy take over because it kind of happened to them. So once I was done, I kind of was like, okay, your turn. So... I decided that I was going to voice for myself just because I have a really hard time signing and hearing the interpreter say words that maybe aren't mine. That's a whole other kind of dilemma that we can get into later about why being a CODA sometimes it's really hard to work with interpreters, but well, I decided to voice for myself, had the interpreter sign for me. 
pretty much I did that. And then everybody down the line after me went ahead and voiced because quite frankly, when you're, when you're on a platform like that, it's just easier to, to voice, have the interpreter do their job. That's what they're there for. And a deaf man in the audience ran up to the stage because it was me, I think Bella, I think maybe Joanna. And, and Nate. Uh, Nate was at the end. And Nate. And Nate came up and Nate signed for himself. And this deaf man came up and said, you and you, good job. You, you and you, shame on you for not signing it, for using your voice. This is a deaf world. Like you should be here. Like absolutely. In front of everybody. In front of everybody at this conference. And I, I look over and Bella, Bella, who is Jacob's younger sister. My younger sister. So yeah. my younger sister and somebody I'm very protective <laughs> over. I could see her eyes watering and like overflowing with tears. And as soon as I got a minute, I grabbed the mic again and I stood up for myself and I stood up for Bella. And I said, you know, this is why we do CODA camp because there are hearing CODAs who don't have this access, who don't have the ability to express themselves or choose not to, and then are publicly and openly shamed by deaf individuals. And I said that in front of everybody because was a feeling of like you are taking away value from who I am because I made the choice to voice instead of the choice to sign. So that kind of also goes to show like the pressures that Codex can have and how the deaf community perceives us. When we don't sign, when we're not involved, when we don't have that tie to the deaf community, it makes us almost siloed and isolated in our own place. But when we are involved in the community, there's that double standard of like you have to have our backs always and when you don't or when you falter or when you fail that expectation from the deaf community really comes down hard on you and i've i've personally seen that a lot working as an interpreter um jacob also works as an interpreter yeah i'm an interpreter as well i just wanted to say and i think that applies it happens everywhere even when i was younger my parents would take me to deaf events at osd Ohio school for the deaf most of the time, if, they, if the person didn't know me or know my parents, because usually they did, they would go, are you deaf? And I'd be like, oh, no, you know, I'm just trying to think, oh, okay, okay. But I remember it was, a, it was at a football game, and I remember I had a deaf guy come up to me, and essentially he was just out to, like, ruin my day. And he was like, you don't sound good enough. He's like, he's like, what are you even doing? And I was like, this is my first language. What are you talking about? And so I, I think a, a lot of CODAs, a lot of times when that happens – it is an intense struggle with the identity because it's saying my core identity that I, I originally, originally identified with is not good enough for someone in that culture. And I was just like, ooh, like a body blow kind of thing because I, this is like my family. This is where I'm most comfortable. But honestly, I think, again, like I said earlier, as I got older, it's just deaf people are just are people, you know, and you're going to get incredibly nice people. You're going to get really mean people. And so, I think when you get that, but you put it on top of us having this split or even having three cultures like Gloria and Izzy, it, it becomes a real struggle. So again, one of the reasons why, that why us codas are so tight is because we're all struggling with this like split cultural identity. And so and it's, and we're always trying to, at least for me, I'm, I'm always trying to remind myself of that, I guess, for lack of a better word. I don't know. So it sounds interesting to me. I, what, what I'm hearing you saying is, you know, society 
regardless maybe of where you identify, society sees CODAs as being a piece of the deaf community from the outside perspective. And what I'm hearing is this kind of being stuck between these different communities. You're in some sense a part of the deaf community, in some sense a part of the hearing community, and how you balance those things. And to me, that that makes it really interesting that this CODA space exists to, maybe if I'm hearing you correctly, kind of bridge some of that divide. Jacob, I'm interested, you had mentioned earlier on the CODA camp, but I'm particularly interested about what are these CODA spaces? I know I've heard people before say CODAs just kind of find each other, but are there formal CODA spaces, whether that be virtually or camps or meetings? Um, What does that look like? Yeah, well, internet makes it really a lot easier now, obviously. But CODA camp, there there are several CODA camps uh, throughout the United States. We're not the only one. I know there's a really good one out in New York. I'm pretty sure there's a few on the West Coast. There's not many, but I think because it's such a small community, we're able to find each other kind of easily. It's 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 like when I'm on Twitter and I see someone commenting and you know they say they're a coda, I'm like, who's this person? Like, oh, let's see if like we might be able to work together someday or or whatever. You know, there's a national coda conference which I think got, well, yeah, I mean it got canceled uh, because of COVID, which that and correct me if I'm wrong, it travels every year to different locations throughout the world. So like in Paris, LA, you know, India, maybe I'm not really sure, but <laughs> I went to Turkey a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So they're definite spaces, but it's, it's, it is kind of a shame because it's limited to, you know, this is the yearly battle. It's like, Oh, code of cancel in one week, you know, like, do, should we go more? Can we, but everyone's volunteer. Right. And so who can stay longer than six days, however many days, six or seven days it is. So we all just kind of look forward to that annual meeting of everybody. You know, we kind of have like smaller gatherings throughout in our smaller community. But when you're talking about the CODA community as a whole, there are a few things like the national CODA meetings. But other than that, can you guys think of anything else? I really think that this is a group of people that is largely forgotten by both hearing and the deaf world. I don't think that I really have words to explain and to describe the feeling that I had post Coda camp. For those of you that have done any town, I would probably compare it with something similar that like soaring feeling of accomplishment, almost like I belong somewhere. I have a voice. I have a purpose. And I think that, you know, growing up, I was always that kid that was like, you know, I did well in school. And so during parent teacher meetings or anytime that there would be anything at school, I'd be like, we need an interpreter for my dad. Like really excited to show this off and like to brag about my dad. I think in the second grade, I taught the entire class to do like this land is your land in sign language. And they, you know, we were very much accepted for that and people have always i've always had a pretty positive experience with hearing people who are curious about american sign language or want to know i've never like been i guess mean to or bullied by hearing people about being a coda you know people never really made fun of me because of my dad right but i i did really struggle with figuring out where was it that I fit. And I almost didn't, when I first went to CODA camp back in like, what, 2008, I think, 
I didn't really put a lot of importance on that. You know, I'm in eighth grade going into ninth grade, freshman in high school. Like I hadn't really given much thought to what it meant to be a CODA or what that identity held. I didn't even really identify as a CODA at that time. And going to Darren's camp and meeting everybody gave me a sense of purpose. It gave me a sense of fulfillment that I had never had before. A sense of like, this is why I feel this way about the deaf community. This is why I struggle so much. This is like, we're all going through the same kind of struggles. And it's funny because you think you're so alone. You think that you're the only one interpreting for your parents. You're the only one that has to like figure out, you know, is there going to be interpreter here? Is there going to be access over here? Like, and as the older sibling, I know that Jacob can probably relate to this too. Like there's that added pressure of being the older sibling of like, are my parents included? Are my parents having a good time? Is this, you know, is this accessible? And there's that added constant pressure. So as a CODA, sometimes you grow up really, really fast. Um, yes. That was the whole point of Darren's camp. Darren always says like, this is a week for you to just be kids, to just run around, to not think about it. And we do have activities. And one of the big activities that we do is the CODA talk, which brings together and ties together why we're there that week. And it essentially gives the kids an opportunity to let it out because a lot of the same issues we all have. We all laugh at the fact that our parents turn up the music all the way when they're in the car and be like, oh, I can't hear it. And we're like, please stop. We also cry about the fact that we see them suffer, that we've seen them, you know, have difficult situations. We had one camper a couple years ago who shared that there was a situation with the police and the police didn't want to provide an interpreter. And she was only maybe 12 or 11 at the time. She was very young and they were relying on her to do all of the communication. Now I imagine that something important's happening. You know, I know of an interpreter who used to interpret for his parents and he would do courtroom things when he was very young a lot of the pressures of providing our parents access fall on us and it's it's traumatic it's a heavy burden when you are seeing discrimination like face to face and you don't know what to call it you don't understand that it's discrimination you don't you might not understand your parents anger or frustration um especially as a young person it can be really really hard so being able to have that support group, that safe place of people to constantly go to and say, I had a really bad day at work. I had this situation with a deaf individual or even like I'm struggling with this with my parents and being able to go to somebody and say that like there's no other feeling than than understanding your sense of self and understanding your identity. And Coda Camp gave that to me. And I would venture to guess that I gave it to a lot of the kids that we work with. Something I really enjoyed about Coda Camp, um, to add on to everything Gloria said, because she said it very beautifully, something I really enjoyed is that I wasn't getting pitied for my stories anymore. I wasn't, oh, I'm sorry. Like, no, my dad being deaf is the best thing ever. Do you know what I can get away with? I can be loud. I can do this. Like, you don't even know. And they're always like, oh, I'm so, no, don't apologize for that. Like, if you're not in the deaf world and someone's like, yeah, my dad's deaf or so-and-so is deaf, like, don't apologize for anybody having a disability. That is, no, just don't do that. But what I really enjoyed about Coda Camp is that that was gone. We were, we could make jokes in both cultures, which Jacob does all the time, but they're, it's just fun because we, we get each other. It's that 
instant, that immediate bond, that immediate connection that you're not going to get with a lot of people. And we have it solely because we live this experience, not together, but we live this similar experience. And we do grow up fast. We grow up very fast. So Coda can't give me that like break, you know? Sorry, Jacob, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm always like that. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, 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 nope, nope. I gotta wait. I'm like, I'm always stopping myself. <laughs> Gloria, you're talking about like, interpreting for stressful situations and things like that. I I was lucky because for me, my parents are super independent and, you know, my dad's the one who uh, runs the camp. Um, So, you know, his philosophy, just be a kid that also extended to going at home. You know, he wanted his kids. um, I have a little brother, EJ and my little sister, Bella. They always made it a point. My mom and dad always made it a point to make sure that we weren't in the stressful situations they still happen. It still happened no matter what, like uh, say we go to a doctor's appointment and I'm with my mom and we do expect an interpreter, but like, actually this happened the other day, literally the other day, the interpreter didn't show up. She drove, uh, cause her doctor is in this state. She lives in another state. She drove to this state. Interpreter never showed up. I was texting with her saying, I'll come, I'll come. Like my girlfriend, who is also an interpreter, she was saying like, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know what I mean? And talking about the sense of responsibility, It's like, because I can understand the anger that deaf people have, because even though it wasn't that interpreter's fault, basically it, it, it's, it sucks because no matter what, no matter what, she's always going to get screwed. No matter what, there's going to be some sort of information that's going to get lost. No matter how good you are, like something's going to get lost. Something's going to go through a filter. She's not going to get the complete information. And even when everything goes right and an interpreter doesn't show up, I can understand the anger that they have towards like interpreters and like, and and stuff like that. And so, because they have to deal with that no matter what I get to sit back, even though it's stressful for me. And I get to say at the end of the day, well, that didn't happen to me. Obviously that's, I'm not saying that callously, but like that didn't happen to me. That happened to my mom and she has to deal with that. And so I think for me growing up was paying attention to people and paying attention to how they're treating my mom and how they're treating like my dad and what kind of information is getting passed. It, it taught me to be super attentive. And uh, what's this English word for this? Like analyze. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like just very much able to like assess the situation. Yeah. And so I developed kind of maybe different skills than other codas would, would, would have just because of how my parents raised me. But I do want to say, I have interpreted, obviously I've interpreted situations and one of the most stressful things, one of the most stressful, I'm sweating, my butt's clenched, is drive-throughs when I was a kid with my mom. Because we would drive up and they would ask us what we wanted and I'll be like, (laughs) I'll tell my mom like, they're asking, what do you want? She's like, no, 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 I'll just pull up to the front and I'll tell them. I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Nope, doesn't matter. She will always pull to the front and she will always, <laughs> she has like a pen and paper and she'll give it to him. And as a kid, I was sweating. I lost like five pounds through sweat. It was ridiculous. Anyway. <laughs> I just wanted to point out, like with my degree um, in rehabilitation services, I learned a lot about the ADA. And obviously being a CODA, I paid a little bit more attention to like the interpreter stuff and all of that. And I've had to tell my, my, my dad when he doesn't receive services or a business is like, no, we can't provide that. They are covered under the ADA, unfortunately. 
So I always say go to a bigger place, make sure they have more than 10 people employed there because if they have less than 10 people, they don't have to provide an interpreter because financially they can't afford it. That's what I tell people all the time. If, if you are having issues getting an interpreter with a business, go to a bigger place because a larger institution will have to provide you with service. And even like on a like broader level, you know, interpreting, you know, it's one thing for an interpreter not to show up. You know, I'm an interpreter. There have been assignments that I haven't showed up to, like just completely forgot it happens. Like, but at the end of the day, it's like Jacob was saying, like when I miss an assignment or when I have missed an assignment, it eats me alive because I not only recognize that like, it's not just like, oh, I didn't show up for work. Like this person's schedule is now all messed up. Now they have to reschedule. Now they have to find access again. Now they have to find an interpreter that fits with them because that's the other thing is not every interpreter is qualified to do a certain job. You could be certified. You could have all your degrees. But the truth of the matter is, is that when it comes to language, you are not an expert in anything. I always tell the agency, don't call me for math. Don't call me for like K through 12. I don't want to go. Like those are assignments that for me, I can do, but they're going to stretch me because my extent of knowledge doesn't necessarily cover all of those things. Now K through 12, I just don't like, but <laughs> it doesn't matter how certified or qualified an interpreter is it, or certified or like ready for it and interpreter doesn't always mean that they're qualified it doesn't mean that they're qualified for that person because it's an individual to individual thing you don't know which like what that deaf person is going to need until you show up to the assignment or you're you know on Sorensen and doing your video relay service and you're standing in front of the camera and somebody calls and they're like we're gonna call my lawyer you could be calling a different beast you you could be calling for pizza, but you could also, like, <laughs> as an interpreter, you're sitting there and it could be pizza or it could be an extremely important call with a doctor or with a lawyer or with somebody. And then all of a sudden, the responsibility of that language, of being able to provide that language adequately, accurately, and to do due service triples because I'm a CODA now. And so not only, like, I will admit here that I have done things that perhaps other interpreters do not feel comfortable doing because half of the job that we do is advocacy. I think it's something like 88% of interpreters are white women. 88% of the deaf community is not white and they're not women. The deaf community is extremely diverse. So that's another thing when I think about my dad, right? Nobody can interpret as well as I can for my dad. Nobody's going to have that like, and being able to trust other interpreters, particularly in a moment of crisis, can be really hard for a CODA, especially a CODA who does the job. And somebody like my dad, my dad is not just deaf, he's Puerto Rican. His native tongue is Spanish. My father didn't learn to sign right away. And for me and Izzy, our native tongue wasn't Spanish, it was sign language. It was sign language, Spanish, then English. We have this sense of, it's not just filling in for accessibility it's ensuring that the accessibility is accurate so i definitely was that kid who was like the interpreter didn't tell you this <laughs> the interpreter missed this like this is important information you need to have and as an interpreter i practice that i will take as long as i need to to get a message across from a doctor i will tell the doctor to hold on i will tell the doctor what is that medicine for they give me a long name what's that for Oh, that's Absolutely. for blood pressure. That's your blood pressure medication. It's your cholesterol medication. But being as clear as I can be. So that code of responsibility carries on even into my job. 
making it not just my job, but like my responsibility, my sense of like self and ensuring that as an interpreter, I'm doing everything I can to not just provide language, but to ensure that I'm providing advocacy and to make sure that I can do what I can. That cultural mediation is really important. Jacob just signed cultural mediation, which is really important because I don't think that hearing people realize that this is a completely different culture. This is a completely different language. Like it is not English to English signs. It is not each sign doesn't have an English word. Each sign is a concept. And with that concept, the interpreter has to make sense of that. Every interpreter can't do that. That's just the reality of things. And what ends up happening is even by the people that are supposed to help them, deaf people are oppressed because an interpreter could get frustrated. An interpreter could, you know, be ashamed of admitting a mistake. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in delicate situations like child protective services where interpreters just don't take the time because they've been taught, especially like in our interpreter programs, they teach us don't apologize. Don't apologize. Just correct yourself. But at the end of the day, like, you have to be monitoring that language constantly. And as CODAs, we've been doing that since kids because we've had to. Hi, this is Adrienne Miller, Executive Director for the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton. I am excited to let you know that this year's friendship event honoring humanitarians will be held at the Levitt Pavilion on September 28th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. We are planning a fun, free evening of local entertainment, diversity trivia, food trucks, and of course, honoring our local humanitarians. We look forward to having you join us for this exhilarating event. Mm -hmm. So if I can jump off of that, and I think tying back to something that you had said, Jacob, what it seems to me as an outsider is that there's a lot of moments as CODAs that you're likely internalizing a lot of pain um, or burden or um, even stress, all of these different things that you see. Like for me, I think of Jacob, your example of needing to kind of weigh those pieces with your, um, with your mother's health at her doctor's appointment. Like to me, that seems like a, a lot of difficulty internalizing yourself as a CODA. And, you know, Gloria, what I'm hearing you saying um, also makes me think, okay, did I deliver that information correctly? Did my parent get competent care? Or as CODAs as well, being a hearing person, I imagine that there's also probably things that you hear that people maybe are saying about your parents or the other deaf people in the, in the community. So I'm wondering if you can speak about what that internalized burden and pressure is like and maybe any examples of that. It can be as simple as my dad bumping into someone at the grocery store and then the lady getting mad at him because he didn't apologize, but he didn't even realize what happened. It can be as simple as that. I'm trying to think of other examples. I mean, you, I, I feel the burden. I'm like, I, I literally turned around. I was like, he's deaf and he's sorry. Like, I, I don't play around when it comes to my parents. My mom is, she's Cuban. So she also has an accent. She also has that cultural barrier. So we are CODAs, but we're also children of immigrants, my sister and I. So we carry that burden in two different ways with my mom, it being her accent. I can't tell you how many times I've been ready to scrap because someone has said something or they've been rude to her. Personally, me, I don't put up with that. And I will call you out and tell you like it is. It's also having the burden of 
even if, like Jacob said, like his mom goes up to the drive-through paper and pencil. Yes, a lot of deaf people will do that just to like have that accessibility. But it's also feeling the pressure of wanting to speed things up for them and help them. So you interpret that anyways, or you help them anyways. It's it's funny because uh, two uh, two things. One is when I'm when I was younger, how I internalized it was I'm gonna fight you. <laughs> and uh i was like say say something else about my mom and, and i'll punch you you know what i mean kind of a thing and which that led me on a whole path i'm like getting into wrestling and yada yada and so forth and you could say it is because it, 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 i'm i started all that stuff to to manage my internal uh anger towards people how people treated my parents uh was through like combat sports actually talking about as an adult you almost laugh about it sometimes uh i'm thinking of a, a specific time with my dad you know, he's got his bachelor's, he's got his master's from Ohio State for social work, you know, he's, he has an interpreting business, he runs a camp, I mean, he is a successful, intelligent guy. At the U-Haul place, when we go pick up the truck, the guy looked at me and looked at my dad, and he, and he saw that I was signing, and, but I was speaking, and he wasn't, and so he looked at me and he said, no, at first he asked, who's, who's driving? Because he like looked at him and then looked at me, Cause he was the one taking care of all the business and my dad kind of started the gear started turning. He was like, okay. He asked, well, does he have a license? <laughs> and I was like, Oh, do you have a license? And my dad was like, Oh, like, here you go. You know what I mean? Like, like, yes, I have a license. And so he started doing this thing. And my dad and I just had to like, have like a little sidebar and like laugh about it. And you know what I mean? Because how else do you deal with it every day outside? You know, I, I, I go about my life. As, as a hearing person, you know, I don't, I don't experience nearly the things that, that they probably do. I almost don't even have a right to be like super pissy and angry at, at this stage when I see that happen because my dad's, my dad's not, you know what I mean? And so I, I, I do take that. It, it hurts a little bit inside, but I'm able to, my dad and I are able to commiserate with each other because we both, we both know the deal. We're able to joke about it. And then now he has a, a story to tell, you know, from here on out. So even as like 50 year old man, you know, in, in today's modern age, he has the checkbook. He had, you know, you know, writing out or, or he has the credit card for the U-Haul. He has everything he needs, but still they assume in today's day and age, like no way he can drive. You can't hear, man. It's, it's like today's version of when I was a kid, someone asking me if my parents could read Braille, you know what I mean? It's just like, ah, it, it's never ending. It's that constant burden of, of like constantly having to educate people too and educating on language like deaf hard of hearing those are what you those are the terms you want to use it's constantly like that sort of thing and I mean I actually have a funny story I'm going to share it real quick um Gloria and Jacob have heard this one but in high school there was this kid and I was just talking about my dad to another person he heard that my dad was deaf and he goes your dad's deaf and I went yeah. And he said, Oh, does, does he have ears? Yes. Why? I don't know for decoration. Like that was literally what came out of my mouth. And I just, it's the constant education of my dad. And I've also like told my, my dad loves that story. He thinks it's the funniest <laughs> thing like, being asked if he has ears. So that's another burden that codas carry too. Well, just to take it a little bit further, you know, I have a very vivid experience of my dad 
being quite aggressive with a secretary at a doctor's office because they had refused to not just provide him with an interpreter, but provide him an interpreter from the agency that he preferred, because that's another, that's another <sighs> thing that we can talk about that probably falls under interpreters, but agencies have contracts with certain things in the area. So if you go to Miami Valley Hospital, you're going to be getting an interpreter from a certain agency. If you go to Sinclair, you're going to be getting an interpreter from an agency, um, which can make it really hard for interpreters who have preferences in other agencies, which is why a lot of interpreters will work at multiple agencies in order to provide that access for the deaf community. But I, I remember him being so angry. And my father growing up, you know, he was a very angry person. And I remember really not getting it. Really just like, why is he yelling at her? Like, he's got mom here. Mom can interpret for him. It's okay. It doesn't have to be this big deal every time. I remember thinking that. And almost even like internalizing that because my mom felt that way too, because my mom is an implant. She's an immigrant here. And she's also very much don't rock the boat, just do what you need to do to get by. And so why is my dad making this big deal? And it was really traumatic because he would make a big deal and he would stand up for himself. And it took a very long time for me to figure out that's discrimination. You know, um, it took me a really long time to figure out why my dad was mad, why he was so angry all of the time. But when you're constantly being negated access, mm -hmm. when you're constantly being told that you're not smart enough. My father's an electric engineer and he works at Wright Pat. Like this man is a genius. You know, he speaks three languages fluently. He can speak, which is another myth that people don't think that deaf people can speak. Not all deaf people can speak. And just because they can speak doesn't mean they're good at reading lips. Lip reading is a whole nother thing that deaf people learn or don't learn how to use. It's not very accurate. It's not great. So don't ever expect a deaf person to lip read. Um, but as an interpreter, I see that also every day, that same denial, that same, we're not going to provide an interpreter. Or I get a lot of the times, like, I'm not interested in what you're selling. If I'm working at <laughs> I'm not interested in what you're selling. And they hang up. I, I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to get charged. Click. Just seeing the faces of deaf people, their tired faces, and seeing how their oppression really just continues. And, you know, language oppression is something that we don't talk about a lot. We don't talk about lack of access to language as being something that is vital for humans. But if you cannot express yourself, you have no humanity. Language is your window to humanity. If you cannot express yourself, if you cannot take that to the next level, being unable to do those things causes anger. It causes internalized pressure. So, as CODAs, we're constantly being exposed to oppression in all of its forms, in the ugliest ways. It changes too. You know, my father is Latino and deaf. So that plays a huge role into how he's perceived in society. Um, we have a, a Black friend of my father's who is deaf, and her son is a CODA. And me, Jarrell, and Izzy used to play all the time. I can't imagine what his experiences were like with added identities. The thing that I think is the hardest for CODAs is that constant exposure to oppression and sometimes not knowing how to unpack it, whether it's oppression at home because you're seeing it happen to your parent or it's oppression at work because you're seeing it happen to your clients. It's constant. It doesn't go away. It makes the work very exhausting. It makes it very hard. 
And I think that, you know, I know we've been calling it burden, but it's the cards we were dealt. I don't necessarily think it's a burden. It's just the cards we were dealt, but it makes us the people that we are. And, you know, I've been in social justice work for almost a decade at this point, and it's hard not to take it personal, even when the client isn't known to me. I take it personal because I picture my father in their place and what would I do for them? I would go above and beyond to do what I needed to do to ensure that this person had access to language in the most pure way. Um, I also think to, to change the subject a little bit that there is such a gift being able to have this as well. Being a CODA is so unique and so special and so hard to explain, but who better? to bridge the gap between the deaf world and the hearing world and the people who are experiencing both of them at the same time, the people who really understand, the people who, who genuinely are trying. And that's, that doesn't go for all CODAs. Not all CODAs are well-versed or are interpreters or have, like I said, language ability. Not all CODAs really understand their identity. So we've been lucky and I feel very humbled to have had the experiences that I have, but being a CODA is a gift and I, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it for the world. I've heard several times us reference Sorensen. So I just want to make sure for the listeners who are not aware, can Gloria, can you briefly explain what Sorensen is? Sure. So Sorensen is one of many video relay services that are provided. In a video relay service, I kind of want you to like picture Skype. So you're seeing the deaf person is here on this side and like normally I would be wearing a headset and then I can see the deaf person. So like, let's say you're the deaf person. So the hearing person's talking in my ear, I'm interpreting. I'm like, hi, how are you? What do you want to order today? And then the deaf person tells me and I'm like, hi there, my name is blah, blah, blah. I'd like to order a large pepperoni pizza. And they're like, great, it'll be $30 or whatever. And that's how it works, essentially. It's kind of like a Skype. It's a video service that provides, it's phone calls. It's literally phone calls for deaf people and just providing them in an accessible way for deaf and, people to be able to communicate with hearing people. And hearing people can also call into Sorensen to be connected to a deaf person because I've definitely done yes. that with my dad before, which is really helpful too. So what you're going to hear is the deaf person, excuse me, the hearing person's voice, the interpreter's voice. So Lake... I might say, hi there, my name is Lake Miller and I'm speaking through a female sign language interpreter so that the hearing person knows, okay, I'm speaking to a man, but the voice is not. So kind of like consolidating that um, can be really hard because hearing people are like, if you're a man, why am I hearing a, a woman's voice or vice versa? It can happen. So mm -hmm. Sorensen gives deaf people access to the phone, essentially. Mm -hmm. and, and is this something that the caller is paying per call for? No, this is covered by the Sorensen and all other video relay service companies fall under the FCC, the Federal Commission, the Federal Phone Commission or whatever. The <laughs> so this is oh, federally funded. The FCC, um, they, regulate, <laughs> they regulate these phone calls, but it's covered under the ADA because it's essentially an, it's access. If hearing people can have access to a telephone, so should deaf people. The equipment is free, the installation is free. Sorensen and other video relay service um, Companies will come out to your home, install the equipment, tell you how it works, and then you're good to go. You can call from deaf to deaf, which means that you don't need an interpreter. You just talk on the, it's like FaceTime. You talk on the phone with the person. 
but the video phone is probably most useful for making phone calls. If the doctor has to call you, if Walgreens has to call you, if you want to place an order, if you need to call your lawyer, <laughs> like all and of those things happen in the realm of video service. And Sorensen came out pre-FaceTime, pre all of that technology. It came out probably when like the sidekick was like still a cool thing to have, which deaf people love the sidekick. So I have a theory that VRS inspired our current FaceTime and our Zooms and our things like that, because that technology, like Izzy said, that technology wasn't available to hearing people. Texting wasn't for hearing people. It was meant for deaf people. And then it was overtaken. So things like that, it's very interesting too, to see how things that have been made accessible for hearing for deaf people are now more accessible for hearing people. Anyway, that's You're welcome cool. hearing people. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I think that'll be good to explain what Sorensen is to people. I'm shocked, actually. Um, I mean, I've heard Gloria talk about Sorensen for probably years now. I'm <laughs> shocked that this is a free service. I mean, that's something that didn't even occur to me. Um, and even as Isabel had mentioned, you know, like she calls her dad sometimes through this, like it hadn't even occurred to me that if I needed to get in touch with Isabel's dad, I could call this service and do that versus saying, hey, Isabel, can you communicate this um, and see if he's available on this date to do this thing? Um, so even as someone who was semi-familiar, I'm shocked to find out how accessible that service is. Well, it's kind of like dialing a phone number. So like if I call Jacob and say that he's deaf, it's going to automatically connect me to an interpreter. So every deaf person has their own phone number that is connected to that video phone. So it's, you call, it's like a regular phone number that you call and hear, and deaf people do it the same way. They use on the video phone, they type in the number and they call out. So you don't even have to call in the service necessarily. Like yeah, it's you just automatically routed to an interpreter somewhere in the nation. You're never going to know where your interpreter is from or, you know, maybe by accent, but. Um, oh, so you're not interpreting necessarily for people in date and making phone calls. No. Oh, everywhere. You're everywhere calls from everywhere so i try to be i mean i play a game because i <laughs> i get bored at work but i'm like okay it's morning in california but it's afternoon in the midwest so every time somebody from the midwest calls i'm gonna be, go hello good afternoon hold mm -hmm. on one second while i connect you and in california i'm gonna be like good morning <laughs> like, it's really interesting too because you're not only getting like accents and like different people in your ear you're seeing regional signs you're you're seeing deaf people from all over the country and i've met some pretty cool people through Sorensen. it's 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 a cool job it's a cool job yeah um talking about just it's a gift i mean for me like i've been i've been in film school for four years now and i'm gonna be graduating soon and the entire like four years i've used like deaf culture and asl and and all that in like 80% of my stuff. And so like my, my senior independent study was a feature length script with a huge deaf cast, you know, and then my final project for, for my, my senior thesis film is going to be an hour to an hour and a half documentary on Kodakam and all the people around Kodakam. It's going to be more about the people obviously, but <laughs> um, so actually if anybody's listening and they're interested, that will be coming out sometime in a year to a year and a half. <laughs> so every day I have benefited from being a CODA every day I, in some small way or in some big way every day I, I do benefit from it 
yeah, I, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that this is my life. I wouldn't change it, you know, for anything, you know. I really quick, I just want to say I absolutely agree with both Jacob and Gloria about it being a gift. I, I feel so blessed to be able to see life through several lenses just because of how I was raised, because of who my parents are. So I feel very lucky and very fortunate to have had those experiences. Even if they weren't the best, I still learned from them. Thank you for listening to our part one episode on CODAs. Join us for part two, in which Lake will continue his conversation with Jacob, Gloria, and Isabel. They'll talk about their family life, dating as a CODA, and more on the perception of deaf individuals. Thanks for listening.